Well, good morning again. Uh, we're um, finishing up uh, chapter four in James. Uh, I'd like to say uh, greetings to those at home uh, who can't uh, join us this morning. Uh, welcome to you. I know that um, you might not be here uh, physically, but you're here with us in spirit. And uh, we appreciate that. Uh, last week, I pointed out that the section beginning in chapter 3, uh, verse 1, and ending with uh, four, ten, chapter 4, verse 10, is a section that's united around the theme of unity in the church or relationships within the church. And James uh, talked about a number of threats to that unity, and he presents a case that pride, envy, and selfishness are um, products of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and certainly not from God. The remedy or the solution is, is for believers to humbly submit to God in order to experience these uh, peaceful relationships with others. So in chapter 4, James commanded his readers to submit yourselves to God, uh, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, and humble yourselves before the Lord. And then in verses 11 and 12 last week, we talked about applying this remedy to how we speak, how we speak of others and, and how we can wrongly judge or, or even condemn others through our words. And with today's passage, James gives us another application derived from the command, submit yourselves to God, and that is how we make our plans. So this morning is, is how we make our plans. So I'll, I'll read the passage and then pray. So James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Lord, we thank you for your word Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us uh, through your word and that you have revealed uh, your plan of salvation uh, through us, uh, through your word, Lord. And uh, we thank you for the privilege, Lord, of, of studying your word and, and learning for it, from it. Help us to grow in our faith, Lord. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you. And uh, we thank you, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So right up front, I want to make something clear. This passage is not saying it's wrong to make plans. So it's not saying it's wrong to make plans. What it's talking about is how we make plans. And by how we make plans, I don't mean some formula or system you know, such as forward planning or backward planning. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Back in college, uh, back in the uh, late 80s, I was president of the College Public Interest Research Group, 
We called it MassPurg because it was in Massachusetts. And, and we would try and, and tackle you know, student agreed upon environmental and social issues, you know, such as recycling, toxic waste, and hunger. You know, little things like that. So uh, the main office in Boston would send advisors to our campus uh, to help us with our plans. So these advisors were recent college grads learning leadership, organizational skills, that type of thing. So one of the skills they tried to impart on me was what was called backward planning. So backward or reverse planning is, is just what it sounds like. You start with your end goal and date, you know, say, you know, November 25th or something, and then you work your way backwards from there to develop a plan of action. And I could never wrap my brain around backward planning. And I still can't just ask my wife. She loves backward planning. And the advisors would get so frustrated with me because we'd sit down as a group, we'd make a plan for something, you know, backward planning, and I'd just end up unintentionally converting it to something, to uh, something resembling forward planning. Uh, one semester, we got a new advisor, and his name was Jake. And Jake was not a very organized person. And backward planning was just as mysterious to him as it was to me. And so you probably could have described our method as uh, a mixture of forward planning uh, procrastination and utter chaos. W with today's passage, James argues that no matter what formula you use, no matter what system or method you use for planning for the future, you shouldn't make any plans without including one essential ingredient. And this essential ingredient should be obvious to, Christ to the Christian but sometimes we, we get a bit full of ourselves. We, we get prideful, or, or we don't want to take the time. We get lazy, we get complacent. So James begins verse 13. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. So here, in this context, James is describing a group of people in the church probably fairly wealthy merchants making business plans for the future. So as I said earlier, it's not wrong to make plans for the future. Making plans is actually a wise approach. James isn't against plans. He isn't against preparing for the future. He isn't even against making plans to make money. Uh, Joseph uh, was praised in the Old Testament uh, for using Egypt's seven years of plenty uh, to prepare for seven years of famine. So the, Joseph used great wisdom there. Proverbs uh, 6, 6 through 8 urges us to observe the ways of the ant and how to prepare for the winter. Uh, Proverbs thirteen sixteen says, a wise man thinks ahead, a fool doesn't, and even brags about it. And of course, there are other Proverbs that, that call us to make plans with wisdom and counsel. However, when, when James quotes this hypothetical group making their plans, he uses a Greek word which is translated, we will go. We will go. So behind that phrase, there, there's this determination. There, there's, 
there, as, as James will point out later, an arrogance. We will go and do this. We will accomplish that, and nothing can stop us and get in our way. And even more, there, there is an arrogance which, which suggests that tomorrow, next week, next year, are guaranteed. They're guaranteed to come. So the essence of their attitude is, I'm sovereign, I'm in control. So for you kids, number one, uh, the, uh, the fill in the blank there is, is boast. So boast, B-O-W-S-T-E, boast. <laughs> Just seeing if you're paying attention. So boast. So James, James says, come now, you who make your bold plans, verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow may bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So here James pauses for a moment and reminds us of a few things. One, how short life is. Uh, as those of us in the, the second half of life, you know, we don't need to be reminded. And, and if I look around, there's a few of you are, who are in the third half of life. Um, I'm not going to mention any names. Um, so still, no matter how long you live on this earth, life is short. Life is short compared with eternity, especially But James is also making the point that life is not just short. Life is beyond our control. It's beyond our control. James uses the the example of a mist or a vapor. Now think about your breath on on a cold day or or the smoke uh, rising from a a fire. Uh, Not only does it not last longer, you can't make it last longer, and you can't control it, you can't grasp it, you can't possess it. Uh, James probably pulled this idea out of Ecclesiastes. If you remember our study of Ecclesiastes earlier, um, well, it was last year, I guess now. So remember that one of the themes in Ecclesiastes was, was vanity or meaninglessness, which, which basically means mist or vapor, uh, giving the same idea as James of life being short and beyond our control. Uh, Ecclesiastes also brings up the issue of toiling and and working in business, just like James. But the main idea that James has in this passage and, and Ecclesiastes, what they have in common, is that one missing ingredient. King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that life is short and meaningless without this ingredient. And James says, you shouldn't make any plans at all without this ingredient. So in verse 15, uh, James reveals this secret ingredient. And I was struggling to refer to, um, well, you'll see. We, We know this because James begins verse 15 with instead. Instead of of saying, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What I was saying before, I was struggling whether to refer to the Lord as an ingredient. (laughs) 
but you know what I mean. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So that, that's the missing ingredient. If the Lord wills. James' criticism isn't that we are making plans. It's that they're making plans and carrying on business just the way every other merchant does. Just the way every other businessman does. Without God. And as Christians, they should be well aware of not only how uncertain the future is, but also who controls the future. We're not sovereign, but God is sovereign. James' point is not simply that they ought to begin or end their, all their plans with if it's the Lord's will or Lord willing. Uh, that would be an offense to God, just to throw that in there. Uh, instead, James wants them to seek God's plan and follow God's will for their plans. Uh, planning without seeking God is making ourselves sovereign instead of God. So we can notice the details in the plan from verse 13. They thought about the time, today or tomorrow, the people involved, we, the place, such and such a city, the time involved, they're going to spend a year there, the activity, buying and selling, and the expected result, a profit. But what, what's missing in this picture? What's missing in this detailed plan? Well, obviously, they never once include God in their plans. So number two, the um, fill-in-the-blank would be uh, trust God. So trust So we all make plans. It's part of life. But to do so in, in self-will, uh, leaving God out, is sinful. To say we will or I will apart from God is selfish, it's prideful, and it's sin. Especially for the, for the Christian who, who claims Jesus as Lord. Uh, we can notice, for example, the, the, the I wills. Uh, of Lucifer in Isaiah 14. This kind of gave me the chills when I first read it. For you, Lucifer, have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like Most High. So in a sense, when, when we consider our plans without God, like Lucifer, we're trying to be God. We're trying to be God. We convince ourselves that, that time is on our side. We convince ourselves that there's plenty of time and, and we can do with it what we want we make our plans as if our abilities and, and the end result are the only things we need to consider. Uh, we overlook or, or ignore how frail and unpredictable life can be, and we boast in our self-confidence. James calls it arrogance. He also calls it evil. Why evil? Because in verse 17, James says, So whoever knows the right thing to do 
and fails to do it. For him it is sin. So as a Christian, as a devoted follower of Christ, if you know that the right way and the wise way to make plans is to include God in every step, but you don't do it, it's sin. That's what James is saying here. So number three, fill in the blank, is is obey. If you want to write down obey. I was reminded uh, when I was uh, preparing this of a, of a Christian friend who, by the way, he also left his profession to, to, to be a pastor uh, about five years ago. His oldest daughter, daughter wanted to start her own business, a dance studio. So my friend and his daughter sat down and they hashed out a business plan, a detailed business plan, a strategy, and they put it all down on paper. I mean, as we know, you can't start a business on a whim. And if you're expected to get any help from the bank, you want, they want to know you have a detailed plan. You know, you need to have an affordable building and a good location with the opportunity to expand for the future. You know, what are your hours of operation going to be? What types of services will you offer? How much will you charge for your services? Will you have employees? How many employees? How much will you pay the employees? And, and on and on. What types of benefits? So these are all things you need to talk about and plan for and pray about. This is a wise and good thing to do. And if I know my old friend, um, Jim Baby, that's that's his softball name, (laughs) Jim Baby, who he has an incredible heart for Christ. I know that all through this process with his daughter, and probably he included his whole family, it was bathed in prayer. So, if making plans and setting goals is a good and wise practice, you know, whether you're planning a business, a family, a career, your schooling, your, your, your household meal plan, uh, or, or, or even tr- trying to save money for that, that new toy that, that you want, if making plans and setting goals is wise, then why do we so often neglect to include God in our plans? Why do we so often fail to include that vital ingredient, you know, seeking God's input and wisdom? My wife and I are reading a book together about Jesus. It's called King of the Jews by D. Thomas Lancaster. The Combs loaned it to us. So in the book, chapter 3, the author writes about what it means to be a disciple in Jesus' day. And then he writes about Jesus choosing the 12 disciples. So the author points out that while Jesus had many disciples, only 12 were called to be the core students. And these, these 12s were the ones responsible for transmitting and teaching uh, Jesus' message. So obviously the, the 12 men Jesus chose would have a, a great responsibility but here's, here's what I want to point out. The author uh, writes this. He says, Luke's narrative says that Jesus spent the whole night alone in the hills, deep in prayer, before making his choices for the twelve. Each one he chose had to be the Father's choice. 
And when morning came, he was ready to choose the twelve. So don't miss this. Part of the ministry plan of Jesus when he was with us was to choose the twelve disciples. These men would live together under Jesus' teaching. They would witness Jesus' miracles. They would witness his death and his resurrection. They would receive the Holy Spirit with power. And they, they would begin and help spread the early church, write the four Gospels, become leaders in the church, uh, write letters uh, such as James uh, to the various churches, and eventually die for their faith in Jesus. But before Jesus chose these men, these fishermen, masons, tax collectors, even rebels, before Jesus continued with the ministry plan, he consulted God the Father. He prayed for a whole night. He sought the will of his Father. But this, this shouldn't surprise us because that's, that was Jesus' whole life was seeking God's will. From uh, John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 5.19, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And then, Just before the cross, Jesus said these words. He said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. And as we know, Jesus spent a time in prayer before his crucifixion. So if Jesus himself continually sought direction and wisdom from God, His Father. Don't you think we should too? I mean, God is our Father as well. So really, the the application of this passage is, is pretty obvious. You know, seek the Lord's wisdom and guidance when making any plans. Seek the Lord's wisdom and guidance when making any plans. God needs to be the first and primary consideration in all of our plans. We need to remember that God knows the future. We need to keep reminding ourselves, God knows the future. Look again at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. We still make plans, but we always should subject them first to the will of God. What He wants should come first. Every plan and purpose we have needs to be subjected to his will. And it's not enough to ask, does this make financial sense? Or does this make family sense? Or does this make sense for my career? It's not enough. We need to ask also, does this make spiritual sense? Does this decision keep God first in our lives? Does following this path keep us in line with following Jesus? There are so many uh, good opportunities out there and so many decisions that might be good in their own right, but are they where Jesus is leading you? Is it where God wants you to be? And again, there's all sorts of of practical 
areas of application here. You know, where, where you choose to live. You know, is there a bi- one thing to consider and seek the Lord? Is there a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church where I can grow and use my gifts? Will buying this house or car uh, keep us from honoring God first in our finances? Work. Can I honor my biblical commitments as a husband and father or, or as a wife and mother if I take this job? Will, will taking this job force me to compromise my biblical values, uh, to put my faith on hold? Uh, parenting, if I, if I enroll my kids in these activities, will it cost them spiritually in some way? You know, is soccer on Sunday morning really worth it? I need to seek the Lord for these things. Dating and marriage, if I date or marry this person, how does this further God's purpose in my life? Is she or he really the one God has in mind for me? Ministry, how does, how does this ministry or event fit in with how God wants me to use my gifts? A college, will this college or university negatively impact my faith? And what if you really have no idea what if you have no idea what you want to do with your life right now? You don't have a plan. What if you don't have a plan for college, for a career, for a relationship, for a ministry? You know, what, if, what if you're totally confused because there really are no good cho- choices? What if you're totally confused because all of your choices seem good? The remedy is the same. Submit yourselves to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Prayerfully seek His wisdom, His guidance, His direction. Anyone can slap the words Lord willing to statements about the future. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. I know a lot of people who, who say Lord willing. Um, Anyone can wax eloquently about God's sovereignty after their plans have already been made. But James has in mind a life lived at all times, at all times in awareness of God's will and who God is. To to submit to God is to submit all our future plans to Him. And if you're Again, if you're totally confused and don't have any plans, well, submit your confusion to Him. Submit your future to Him. I mean, I'll admit it, it requires a radical reordering of our lives where we continually seek God's will you know, through, through reading God's Word, through a consistent prayer life, through seeking wise counsel from others. Uh, through the hearing and preaching of God's Word, and, and as James would say, doing God's Word uh, through a radical dependence on God. So imagine, imagine your relationship with God where it becomes almost second nature. Almost second nature to seek His will for decisions or, or making plans about the future. As we know that the future is uncertain on this earth, of course our eternal future is certain if you're a believer in Christ. 
and our, our plans can change in an instant. It, it, it's boastful arrogance, as James would say, to assume that tomorrow is guaranteed and that we have control over our lives. But we know that God is in control. God knows what tomorrow will bring. God is our Father, and He loves us. Amen? So we put those, we put those two together, or put all those things together, and why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we seek God's guidance when making plans? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that, that you love us and that you seek our good, Lord. And um, you love, a, love it when we come to you. And even for little plans, Lord, or so-called little plans, help us, Lord, to um, live a life of uh, constantly seeking your will, Lord. Constantly seeking your wisdom and your guidance, Lord. You've given us so many resources, Lord. You've given us your word. You've given us prayer. You've given us brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, who can help us. Lord, help us to rely on these things, Lord. But mostly, Lord, help us to rely and depend on you. Lord, we thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.